The diamond I Empathy Museum presents A Mile in My Shoes. These shoes are a pair of smart, casual grey trainers for a man. They're quite large and they have a thin leather sole. On the top, they have cream laces and a zigzag leather pattern. They look like they may have been through the washing machine many a time. These shoes belong to Brian. This is his story. My name's Brian Dennis. I'm 53 years old. I live in the northeast of England in a town called Middlesbrough. I'm a bit biased, but it's a fantastic place to live. Some of the social indicators will tell you that it's not, but I'll tell you different. I can tell you that within five minutes one way, I've got lovely golden sands on the beach, and five minutes the other way, I have uh, the moors full of beautiful countryside, and it is a fantastic place to live. The steelworks, the, the blast furnace itself, if you, if you drive past, it's a monumental thing. It, it's totally recognisable to anybody who knows what they're looking at. Along our river, the River Tees, we used to have over 100 blast furnaces and because of all the pollution they used to chuck out, we got our nickname the Smoggies, which is what some Borough people are proud of. And one by one, these furnaces shut down and we ended up with just one big one. So when I first started, it was British Steel and then British Steel merged with Hoogavans from Holland. Then we became Chorus. Chorus then sold the assets totally to Tata Steel, which is an Indian company. Tata mothballed the site. SSI came along and they, they stayed with us for four and a half years. There was overproduction in China, so that affected the price of steel. I make no bones about it. If they can put a finished product on the floor where I work cheaper then we can buy the ingredients and the raw materials to make that. We're, we're on a hide into nothing. So we were left to fight in the open market and the company deemed that they couldn't do that anymore. I chose to become a union rep because I was sort of press ganged <laughs> at one of the meetings because I always had a lot to say. So first I became a safety rep. I was a safety rep for three or four years uh, and then I became a union delegate uh, I was a union delegate for my branch right up until we closed. Um, I was at uh, the Labour Party conference and Tom Watson was on the, on, on the stage and um, he was talking about nationalising the railways if we got into power. And my general secretary of the union, my union is community union by the way, who have always been there for the steelworkers, his phone lit up, everybody's phone started lighting up and I didn't know what was going on. The uh, they took me to an outside room, and they, and they told me that the company had announced that they were just uh, they were going to shut the works. And would I like to go home? And at first I said, yes, yes, I want to go home. I need to speak to the guys and we need to find out what's going on. And then I started to feel anger about what they'd done. And where better place to get help? I believed a congregation of working people, which the Labour Party is, was the place. 
So what we did, we secured uh, an emergency motion. I got up on the stage. I didn't have any intention of speaking at a conference. I'd never done it before. But I got up on the stage and I said my piece, evolving around what is going to happen to me and what's going to happen to my family. Then you start questioning your worth. Will I get a job anywhere else? Am my skills transferable? Um, I've been in a unique industry for that long. What what actually goes on in the real world these days? And there was a stand innovation. And um, I felt as though people were in that room understood because there was people in that room who'd already gone through this kind of thing. Uh, their industries had already been decimated. And when I came off the stage, I had people coming up to me Offering me advice, offering me just a hug. So that was sort of the death knell for us on Teesside. There was five, five and a half thousand jobs. And when five thousand jobs are suddenly taken away and then wages are taken away uh, on what is a relatively small town, things have to change. My wage within the steelworks to what I earn now is £15,000 a year down. And so if you can't spend that money, then the businesses within your area start to suffer. It, it absolutely has a, a knock-on effect. And it, it seems to be when we're in an area of high deprivation to start with, it just seems a bit criminal that the government really never thought to help. I believe there's a clear north-south divide. No, you don't even have to look at my works. You can look at healthcare. We have all this dirty industry on our doorstep, and yet uh, per capita, they spend more on people in the stockbroker belts in Kent than, than they do in the northeast of England. And a few of my colleagues have said, if we were in the southeast, they would have saved us. And I think there's a, a modicum of truth in that. I really do. I was at a union meeting, and our MP, uh, Anna Turley, came and spoke to me, and she said, have you ever thought about being a Labour MP. Sorry, not a Labour MP, a Labour councillor. And I said, no, not at all. She laid down what I did with the union, and that was basically, I'm there to listen to problems, help people, see things are done fair. And she said, as a councillor, you're going to help people, you're going to speak to people. And it just seemed a logical, logical conclusion that she was actually right. And so, because... Uh, people knew who I was, knew what kind of person I was, knew what kind of character I was. I got the votes and I had enough to, to become uh, a Labour councillor. I uh, fought the good fight for four years. Um, I believe that the steelworks were shut because the government at the time, which was the Conservatives, uh, hid behind state aid rules. Other European countries... Uh, and help their steelworks. They come under the same state aid rules as we do. Our government said, no, Europe is preventing us from doing this. I did have a lot of conversations with our Euro MP. Is it really true that Europe is stopping us? And she said, not really. She says it's it's the government's choice that they're doing this because at the end of the day, it's an interpretation of what is wrote down. And Germany, Spain, France and Italy all interpreted it one way. A good way for their people. The Tory government, because they didn't want to put their hands in the pocket, 
interpreted a different way and said we cannot help because it infringes on state aid rules. Our government were hiding behind European law. The, the follow-on from that is, I do not want to be a part of Europe. Uh, the Euro MPs should have been screaming from the top of their voices. It isn't Europe, it's the government of the day that are making them decisions. But they didn't. I feel as though we should be out out of Europe and then we can't be hide, we can't be hidden anymore behind these rules. Uh, some of the disagreements between me and my Labour colleagues evolved around people who voted for Brexit are racists. And these are words I will not accept. Now, I look at the communities where I live and race crime is on the increase. Can that be attributed to Brexit? It has to be. It has to be, I think. But I had reasons that had nothing to do with creed, race, colour, religion, sexuality. Nothing. My reasons were purely work reasons. So, now now we'll come to the bad bit. <laughs> the Labour Party, you, you've heard me talk about it very fondly um, when I was at conference and the camaraderie that, that came with that. Uh, here we are, uh, five years on from that, and I think the Labour Party has changed. As for representing the working man, I, I think Brexit has absolutely skewed everything. The Labour Party, at this moment in time, as of today, which is the 15th of July, they couldn't tell you whether they want to remain or leave. So, unfortunately, in, in this year's elections, I voted uh, for the Brexit Party. It, it, it turns my stomach when I, when I say it. But the do, they're not understanding the feeling of the people who voted out. What does the, the, the future hold for this lad from Teesside? Uh, I believe if there was a, a snap election, I'd remain true to my uh, red roots. I, I think I would vote Labour because the alternative uh, just really turns my stomach. The Tory party with its agenda where dying people are being declared fit for work, it's, it's just not me. So I would remain true to my socialist roots they say change from within, I will be going to the next conference and I will be shouting, I'll be saying my piece and mine will be, we are Britain and we are great again and we are forging our own way and it doesn't mean cutting off Europe, you'd be a fool to ignore the trade that's possible but it's not trade at any cost, it's a trade that's beneficial to both sides if it was a deck of cards I had we are winning. We've got the winning hand. We are net importers. They are net exporters. They can lose more trade than we will. Let's have this election. Let's get the Labour Party in. Let's us negotiate. And it, it isn't about leaving without a deal, but it has to be the right deal. We have to maintain control and deliver to the people what the people voted for, which was sovereign rights, make our own rules and regulations, do what we want to do as Great Britain. And that, for me, is how I see the future. Brian's story was produced by Jesse Lawson. His shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by Empathy Museum's A Mile In My Shoes exhibition. The, moment we the shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we are going next. <laughs>